0: Welcome into this week's episode of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Kalen Jones, and I'm joined by SunDevilSource.com publisher, Chris Cartman. Chris,
1: how's it going? It's a wonderful Monday.
0: It is. I'm glad I got your name right, you know, this time around.
1: Good for you, man. That's, <laughs> let's, let's, see, we Aspire to great, greater things than that. <laughs> Baby steps, I promise. <laughs> so we're recording today following Arizona
0: State's camp, uh, ending scrimmage at Sun Devil Stadium on Saturday. Uh, We'll be taking, excuse me, we'll be talking about that and a lot more than the podcast sort of setting the stage for our season preview episode next Monday. Um, Classes started at ASU last Thursday, and Coach Todd Graham said the team is now transitioning into its normal in-season schedule, so that will typically consist of Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday practices um, when games are on Saturdays. But since ASU opens on a Thursday next week against New Mexico State, it will actually practice next Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So on today's show, we'll wrap up the team's camp. Uh, we'll talk about the program's longest camp in history due to NCAA rule changes that outlaw two-a-day practices and enable an earlier start. ASU has been practicing since July 25th, so almost a month in as we're recording this. So Critz, what are some of your takeaways from the earlier start to the camp and no two-a-days?
1: Uh, it's easier on us as reporters covering the team, right? Ka? <laughs> true, definitely uh, true. Uh, to be honest, we we probably work 12, 14 hour days when ASU just has one practice. So imagine when they were doubling up and and uh, Todd Graham hadn't really done a lot of two days. Uh, they remember they had the, the the separation of the newcomers and the veterans. Uh, in the last couple years right. in the first two practices, so they, they weren't able to do that uh, to assimilate them, but I think everything went well with that. Uh, prior to that, we had seen maybe six to eight two-a-days, and those are really grueling, not just on us, but on the players. because yep. You get those camp legs. guys are just dead tired. Uh, they're sore. They're, they're just physically just completely worn out. I didn't really have that feel from, from camp this year, and maybe part of that is because – of the way that these guys and their coaches said that they trained in the off season. Mm -hmm. Um, They they said they did more uh, and and more uh, outside in the heat than they had done in in past years, but just only practicing that once a day uh, and then having that NCAA mandated one day a week off that they have now, I feel like the guys have better legs than they have had in the past. We've seen some openers where I felt like guys weren't really actually all that fresh, and it took right. uh, several weeks into the season before that happened. Um, what was your sort of vibe about um, any differences this year?
0: Uh, similar to you. like I think that they appreciate the fact that there's more of, I guess, like a break in between uh, a chance you know, kind of – revamp and then come back to practice a little bit more fresh and you know it's going to be a really big thing for them going in next year I mean you look at what happened last year with the amount of injuries that ravaged them early in the season and then um, on throughout the entire year like I think it does catch up to you early how you start um, you know with two days and everything else I think just the mindset of the players too going in I think it's definitely a different approach just because I think so much is going on just uh, not just internally I guess but with in regards to the, you know, the top on down, when you look at what this year means for Coach Graham and his future and his le- legacy with the team, I think that the players kind of sense it. And I think that there's more of a focus, um, you know, driven attitude that's kind of we're here to do with business and we're here to work.
1: Yeah, uh, I think you made a good point there, which is to say that um, a lot of times in years past, you have guys that get cramped up or in first couple games right. or there's injuries, and part of that maybe is just due to the physical wear and tear that's already taking place on their bodies even going into a season. Yep. I'll be interested to see w- what happens this year and if and if there's any kind of changes with that.
0: Yeah, it'll certainly be, be interesting, especially when considering that ASU's staff is so different from last year. I mean, you have a new offensive coordinator in Billy Napier taking the reins of the offense, and then you have defensive coordinator Phil Bennett coming in to, from Baylor, and he's basically been given the keys to Todd Graham's defense after that vehicle kind of went off road the last couple years. And I mean, not not just those two, but then you also have new faces in offensive line coach Rob Sale, uh, receivers coach Rob Likens, and then Michael Slater coaching the defensive line. I mean, what is your sense of all those changes and how they're kind of manifesting themselves on the field with team preparation this year, Chris. This has
1: been fascinating and really something that we've tried to get our arms around, obviously, because you have essentially half of ASU staff is new this year. And the most important coaches are new because you have a new coordinator on both sides of the ball. Uh, This is the first time that Todd Graham has given uh, control of his defense to uh, somebody else. and, And I don't think he would have done that had it not been for somebody that he really had a, a huge amount of respect for in Phil Bennett, who's been coaching for about 40 years now. I think 1978 was his first year as a right. coach. And immediately after his, his playing days, he he transitioned right away. Those guys are very similar philosophically. Uh, it's going to be an attacking style defense the same as, right. it, yeah. as it's ever been. The, the differences really are more about – um, how they go about doing that, and that's something we're going to talk a lot more about on the premium podcast. But I think Phil Bennett wants to be a little bit more careful, uh, probably not as many situations where if one guy gets beat or if there's a, a, a breakdown in communication, um, they they'd give up a huge play or a touchdown, and that's been really the problem, as you know, Cameron, for the last couple of years. But what, I, what I've also noticed about Phil Bennett is, is, and I'm sure you have as well, is just the the energy and the hard edge yeah. that he has in practice I mean this is a guy who is not afraid whatsoever to to really get on players Uh, he'll ride one individual player throughout an entire uh, period of practice if he sees plays (laughs) that aren't really working out well or he'll actually go out onto the practice field as that as that guy's coming off the field to have a few extra words and 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 try to understand what was taking place but the players actually don't seem to mind it and when you talk to them they they actually really like what, what they're getting from Phil, Phil Bennett and, and his uh, personality and style. And then, of course, Billy Napier, I think, is a big difference, uh, uh, quite a bit philosophically different in, in yes. terms of how he is offensively f- um, versus what ASU had last year and Chip Lindsey. And um, very interested to see how that all gets implemented. What do you think about uh, the other guys, Sale or Slater, um, you know, Likens, uh, who's just like, a guy that they say takes you know a handful of energy drinks uh, with him to practice
0: <laughs> yeah likens especially he he's a character that dude walks it i remember at camp t in the middle of the morning it's dead silent outside nice and tranquil and then rob likens coming in yelling who's, wh- who's ready to get the work let's get the work and, you know yeah. like it, it, there's definitely bouncing off the hills yeah, all over seriously, the place seriously you could have probably ran all the way up camp t and then came back down and still had energy you know yeah. and The players really react to it, and I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I know you asked me about the other coaches, but just even touching back on Napier, I I think that's been the biggest in terms of credibility. I think the players have really, really, you know, um, rallied behind that. And and I was thinking the other day, um, obviously the Alabama connection, you think about Nick Saban, but just – Think about this dude started off at Clemson, too. They just came off a national championship. So each of the past two national championship winners, that's the type of pedigree that you have running your offense. Rob Likens, again, with the pedigree, the type of receivers that he's turned out into the NFL. I think it's like at least seven. It it might even be 11. It's probably more than that. But, I mean, when you look at the track record of of those two guys and then when you're talking about with the hard-nosed guys in the trenches, what what Rob Sale brings and then what Michael Slater brings to the offensive defensive line – the type of gritty, you know, hard nose, It's it's Phil esque but it's more burly. I don't know how to explain it. Especially Michael Slater. Like he does not care. He loves getting in his in his players' faces and you know trying to encourage them. And you you mentioned that the players do react. Um, you know, just speaking with them, they do react to that more of an alpha. You know, we're here to work. We're here to get stuff done. You know, more mentality than it is more of a passive. I guess, mentality or approach of the past regimen. But I think it's really important, and I think that we're going to see more and more results. Just the fact that, you know, you have fresh faces who are willing to try whatever, you know, get the best players out in the field possible. Um, I think that there's that sense of, hey, I can push and make a, a, or assert myself into the lineup in camaraderie with, you know, I'm happy to work under guys who want to see me get better or want to be on a good team.
1: Yeah, and there's... Uh, there definitely is an, a harder edge to some of these guys you look mm-hmm. at the transition from Jose Amalo to Michael Slater uh, to your point it's totally different it's guys just uh, they're, they're just worlds apart I don't think that say personality and 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 uh, the way that he coaches really was a mesh uh, for Ty Graham and definitely wouldn't have been for Phil Bennett uh, to, to be right, sure right <laughs> but but he, he's the type of guy who um, if guys aren't making enough physical contact in, in drills he'll say come on it's a pillow fight out there yeah exactly you know um, Rob Sales have a guy who says you're killing the grass if you're not uh, getting through drills quickly enough <laughs> Rob Likens is probably the, the the voice that you hear as much as anyone on on offense throughout a practice. Yeah. With the way that he's encouraging and yelling and, and cajoling his players. Yeah, and
0: he'll still critique them while doing it with a smile on his face. That yeah. is the funniest part. He probably doesn't that. mind the the, <laughs> the 7
1: to 11 reference that you have because he wants his receivers to always be open. Always. <laughs> Chris Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it's a very different sort of a atmosphere. And I think especially because they have this new football operations building, which yeah. is almost, you know, they're, they're, they're christening a new. Uh, sort of feel mentality uh, around the program guys moving into a new locker room. They have, uh, I think there's a, a greater camaraderie. Some of these players are talking about mm-hmm. how they're utilizing the uh, facilities more The the players lounge uh, they're, they're, they're more bonded um, than they have been in the past. DJ Calhoun, a senior linebacker said to us that this feels much more like his freshman year than any year between then and now. Um, and of course, Calhoun is 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 and other seniors remember what it was like when ASU was winning 10 games yeah. uh, at ASU and when Todd Graham was coach of the year in the Pac 12 in 2013. Um, that was a really good team. So um, it remains to be seen if the the way that those guys feel about this season will match their ability to perform. Um, and and only time will tell on that, right. But um, the way that they're talking about this year, um, you know, leads you to believe that they genuinely believe that there will be some differences.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what you want your players to believe. So long as they can believe that there's going to be improvement, there's going to be a change, Then, uh, if you can rally them and galvanize them, you can get the best out of them. So yeah. that's going to be interesting, but... I think the most interesting storyline up until this point has been the quarterback situation. And, you know, obviously Blake Barnett being a former five-star quarterback, um, transferring into ASU, and then being cleared to the play. I mean, really the race was on to see whether or not Manny Wilkins would be able to outlast him. And to this point he has, according to Todd Graham.
1: Well, like I've said, I've said it a hundred times, is we have a starting quarterback. The guy behind him has to beat him out. So... Uh, that was every time we go out there on the field. Uh, you know, there's it's a competition whether it's quarterback position, whatever position it is. Uh, we've got a lot of competition. Yeah, um, I think a lot of that, Kalen, is just the the two two elements the first is fans saw what they had in manny wilkins last year and they thought that that was average at best quarterback play in the pac-12 which i think is accurate then the other part of it is of course blake barnett former five-star guy you know started at alabama as a redshirt freshman in, in in game and um it's it's a belief that of course that would be your best quarterback option but that isn't necessarily the case um, there's been lots of quarterbacks who you know, were designated as elite guys coming out of high school as prospects, and it never really materialized. Um, going back to the spring, I, I felt it was pretty obvious that Manny Wilkins was better at the outset, and then right. a lot of the anecdotal reporting was that even though we didn't get to really see it, that Blake Barnett closed well, had a good finish to spring football. Um, at the outset of, of, of fall camp, we were able to see the team Uh, one week in, less than a week in, in all of their camp, time practices. We estimated that uh, Manny Wilkins was probably taking 80% of the first team reps. It was clear by the delineation of those reps and the way that those guys were performing, that Manny Wilkins was ahead of Blake Barnett. I don't think there was any doubt if you were there and really focused closely on an everyday basis that at that point in time, Manny Wilkins was ahead and maybe in the back of people's minds, they thought, well, Barnett's going to continue to develop and come along and at some point in time pass Wilkins. And b- before spring uh, uh, preseason camp even started, I thought maybe that was a possibility. i I, I wasn't uh, I, I thought there was a good chance that that could happen. but it just didn't really materialize in anything that we really saw. yeah, and um and this isn't to say that Manny Wilkins has. Done exceptionally well and run away with it. Right. I would more so say that th- that as I see it, at least the reality is is that uh, both of them have done reasonably okay. Uh, neither one of them has really lit it up with neither. any sort of consistency. Yeah. And 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 even though Manny Wilkins, it looks as though he's going to be starting uh, the the season opener against New Mexico State. We're not going to be surprised by any stretch if we see Blake Barnett early in the season, uh, we're not going to be surprised if we even see a third quarterback, Brady White, at some point during the right. season, if he's able to be cleared.
0: Yeah, and that'll, it'll be interesting. Um, Todd Graham, of course, mentioning that he's said it 100 times before. He has a starting quarterback. It's Manny Wilkins. Uh, until Blake Barnett beats him out, that won't change. And he, doesn't, he believes that he doesn't have to name a starting quarterback until he makes an official announcement on
1: a change. Yeah, he was almost a little bit perturbed at having to answer the question again after Saturday's scrimmage. And, and because, you know, he'd been asked about it a a number of times up to that point, he said, look, Manny Wilkins is our starter. He's been our starter. He's a returning starter 10 games last year, I believe. Uh, And he's going to have to be beaten out. There's going to be competition. We expect that to be the case, but um, until something changes, that necessitates an announcement uh, don't don't expect anything other than Manny Wilkins to to be the starter. That's basically what he said.
0: Yeah, and there hasn't been any point during this quarterback battle, like you mentioned, Chris, where Barnett has kind of surged ahead. There's been you know flashes of what the potential is. Like when we mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast, how Barnett seems to be more comfortable on the move during in more immediate passing plays, but. I think the biggest problem is that he can't throw horizontally. that's been a big issue for him. Wilkins seems more comfortable in that role, and then just the aspect of the comfortability and the read read option uh facet of the offense. I think he's been the more comfortable player there too. so I mean there's certainly been places where I guess like Barnett has outplayed Manny, but to overall and I think the bigger aspect too like when you talk about the intangibles of former quarterbacks who have played at ASU, like what Taylor Kelly, I mean, that that's the quarterback that Graham always references, how yes. Taylor Kelly was able to affect and how he was able to lead. And sure, I mean, you're not going to say Manny Wilkins is Taylor Kelly, but for what he's able to do, what he's trying to do, and for the amount of players that seem to respect him and rally around him when he, you know, uh, Asked them for you know attention basically or what to work on with routes and just his kind of leadership and openness with even the other quarterbacks like he, he congratulates brady white and barnett all the time Like i see him slap him on the butt after a good play or something so yeah it, it's you know there, there's more to it than just what they're doing on the field especially when you know in this you know aspect he's he's not going to be like an elite college football quarterback you need someone who can be the leader in your locker room and galvanize your players to put play their best
1: level it still remains the case, though, that it's a lot easier to lead when you're undefeated uh, going into a season. That's fair. That's definitely fair. And and so the question will be, what happens? Is any of that shaken up to any degree if ASU starts to not have that much success on the football field? And how do players respond to that? But. But to your point, I would say that Manny Wilkins has done everything that you could possibly ask or hope from a leadership standpoint right. Agreed. in a camp setting, the way that he rallies behind guys, the way that he communicates with everybody. I mean, he displays on the sidelines uh, or or pre-play all the things that you really want. And now yeah. it's going to come down to, is he going to be able to execute in the way that he exactly. says he he, he he thinks he can? Uh, we saw glimpses of it. You know, we're going to talk a lot more about the skill component of Manny Wilkins and Blake Barnett. I think, also on the premium podcast. But but I see limitations with both guys or, or potential right. limitations at a minimum. Uh, and then a lot of it is probably going to come down to um, which quarterback that uh, once you get into games and, and Billy Napier starts to really get a better sense of, of them in, in, in those types of settings. Um which quarterback is going to be able to execute with uh, a, a segment of their playbook that's going to allow them to really flourish. And, um, and and to this point, I think Billy Napier is a quarterback who has more within the scheme that ASU can run, whether that's, you know, getting under center and play action uh, and getting guys out of the pocket by design, or whether that's doing some of the zone read stuff right. uh, from a, from a, from a shotgun situation um, there's just, there's, there's probably a greater breadth, uh, to this offense than there was for, for Chip Lindsay. And then, and that also probably factors into the calculus at some, at some level with Napier and, and um, and, and. The, the fall camp is not where you really sort those things out exactly fall camp yeah. is where you install everything right, right right and then you start to figure out okay what do we do best subsequent to that so that's, now that's true. so now we're just actually starting to get into this transitional phase of coaches game planning for opponents and how they figure out to, to take best advantage of the quarterback and their other personnel that they have yeah it'll
0: certainly be interesting and then Obviously, flipping, looking at the offensive side of the ball, the quarterback battle has been the biggest thing. But on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Arizona State fans want to see their secondary improve. Last year was abysmal. But this year you have Phil Bennett. Um, Everybody's pretty much tuned into how they'll perform under him. And coaches have had a lot of praise for the group uh, during camp. They call it faster, more athletic. Um, And here's what Phil Bennett had to say about the secondary.
1: You know, I don't think there's any question – that we, that we have made improvement. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that separates a good from a poor defense is consistency. And, and we're starting to be more consistent. We're better you know, on deep balls, we're better tackling in space, we're better fitting the run. We, we just need to make sure that, that we stay consistent. Uh, I'm not sure that I can sit here and tell you, hey, we're gonna be dominating but there's a lot of teams out there. I played. I've won championships with defensive that that make you work to get anything that you that you get.
0: Uh, so, Chris, they mentioned that they're better defending the deep ball, better tackling in space. Um, what do you kind of see from this secondary unit overall through fall?
1: Well, obviously, you, you have these unexpected departures of Armand Perry and and Creamer. Um, what was very interesting to me, what really jumped out is Phil Bennett saying we're much improved at cornerback, even after the departure of Kareem Orr. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's an interesting thing to say because Orr was like um, a freshman, all American. Yeah. He let, he, he tied for the lead in, in, in interceptions um, among all players as a freshman He made the transition yeah. from uh, safety He's to corner true. And everybody, I think, had anticipated that he was going to be a big part of the defense. So to say that Kobe Williams, a guy who is an undersized uh, diminutive yeah. sort of figure out there. Exactly. five eight ish, maybe five nine <laughs> on a good day. Um, you know, one hundred and sixty pounds <laughs> right. on a good day. Right. right? To say that he is um, um, you know, clearly better. It's uh, clearly an upgrade yeah, like to, a, to a use improved. much improved. Bennett, much improved yeah. whatever, whatever phrasing uh, you want to use, that's a very interesting thing. And we have seen Kobe Williams look good for somebody who's just this new to, right. to being practicing at this level. And yeah. especially for somebody who's only a sophomore el- eligibility-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are they faster and more athletic overall, as Todd Graham has said, Phil Bennett? I'm not sure because... You lose Gump Hayes, who was, even though he wasn't maybe one of your better uh, uh, players, and forced into a role at defensive back, he was definitely one of your more athletic and exactly. He was one of your best athletes. That, the guys that you had out there, right? So um, the 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 uh, Kobe Williams spot seems pretty well locked up. He, he's taken all the one reps almost from wire to wire in this preseason for ASU. The other side is a little bit more fascinating. You have a, a battle that's closer. Between Joey Bryant, um, a a track athlete who was on the track team at ASU, he's a seven-foot high jumper, 25-foot long jumper. He has good size and stature for a cornerback, over six-foot tall, probably 180 pounds or so, and a very good athlete. And then he's battling against Chase Lucas. A lot of people know Chase Lucas, right, the former local four-star prospect out of Chandler High School, a guy who's really transformed his body in the last year, adding 25 pounds. Athletically, those guys are pretty impressive. Yeah, and they're not more so necessarily than Gump Hayes, just from a speed, agility kind of standpoint. Um, may, maybe uh, Kobe Williams. Kobe Williams is, is a smaller, lighter, quicker guy, probably than Curry Moore. But Curry Moore was also, to my eye, at least, the most uh, functional in skill development work in the spring of all their corners. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what happens there, and and um, I think. Uh, it was one of the, one of the two who said that we're further along a corner than we are at safety. I think it was Bennett, uh, and he and uh, so at safety you have Chad Adams who's going to be really relied upon at that exactly. field side position. The There's really baseball. nobody behind him who's done any sort of established um, success there. Although they do have a couple of guy links and Frederick has got has run out there a little bit. They played mm-hmm. Ty Thomas, another freshman, uh, right. on the field side a little bit, and they're trying to figure out who would be the backup there. Uh, at the banded position it's Daz Tautilatasi, who's been a special team's warrior for them and effective. Marcus Ball can play banded or play spur. Jamarcus Rhodes is currently the starter at that spur position and I think he's one of the more improved players on the team
0: right while you're hot eleven.
1: Yeah,' in the hot yeah. right, high up there on the hot <laughs> 11 right so um, so but but what does this group look like? together on the field in game situations are they going to be more assignment sound are they going to be better communicating um is that going to look and function much better i'm still not sure my 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 gut inclination is maybe a little bit better but, but not dramatically better. Yeah,
0: and, you know, the bar wasn't set too high, I mean, to improve on that, number one. but It was a pretty mean, low bar. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know how you get lower than the worst passing defense yeah. in the country, right? Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, th- there's definitely the expect- expectation that they get at least a little bit further away from that. But, I mean, even just to your point, though, in terms of cohesiveness, I think – you know, we didn't even talk about, like, Armand Perry, like, the role that he had alongside, like, just losing your two best defensive backs to me. I, you know, I, I get how coaches get caught up in speaking hyperbolically, and, I mean, this is a guy who gets fired up really easily. You know, yes. I'm not surprised at all that he's speaking this way, so.
1: He, he Todd Graham, and and, and those are guys that want to speak things into existence. Right, right, right. Very, they like, they're very big on that.
0: Right, but the thing is, if you don't, if you're speaking it, to your audience and you don't speak it directly into existence then it we we talked about this on a previous episode with graham you know you you can't you know let your fans believe that one thing is going to happen like lead them on to believe yes. one thing is going to be one thing and then it doesn't turn out that the way the danger
1: of false expectations exactly there you especially go. in the context of what has happened the last two years with this team so if if you're out in front saying we're going to be a lot better in our secondary yeah you better be (laughs) and then then it doesn't happen this is the year where you really run the risk of having everyone else sort of flip on you right if that doesn't materialize
0: right and you know but to be fair i mean i I will be fair to them at this point like they're getting a completely new look both corners are right now two projected starters that weren't you know, on the team last year. Yeah. If you have Joey Bryant and, um, excuse me, Kobe Williams. Do you and, like
1: Kobe Williams? Do you yeah, like, he, do you he's like solid.
0: You? Like I, I, I like him because he's good for what he does. Like you mentioned how he's functional in space. Like he does a good job of sticking to receivers. Like mm-hmm. e- even though he's undersized and it costs him at times, just because of the fact that he's not big enough to defend the pass, but I've seen him, you know, stick route for route and step for step with Nikhil here on multiple reps. Yeah. I mean, a couple of them, he was able to defend the pass, but and. You know, other times he didn't draw him the ball, but a few times he just got out muscled and outplayed. There's yeah. not going to be too many players on Nikhil Harry's level, you know, you know that he's going to face. But um, it, it's still like intriguing to see whether or not that'll yeah. work out in the Pac-12. He,
1: he's very quick. Uh, he has good recovery speed, and he's going to be around the receiver a lot of the times, especially yeah. uh, when you play him on the field side. And, and there, there's a longer uh, spam between the ball gets there. Now the question is what's going to happen in 50, 50 situations, what's going to happen in the red zone, uh, in in the end zone, what's going to happen when he has to make a tackle on somebody in space, what's going to happen at the line of scrimmage when he has to get off a block to make a play on, on some of these screens. I mean, those are areas where we're really going to have to see what happens there. But, but, but athletically, Um, it is a group that can compete at this level. Yeah.
0: No, I I think that they can. And you just look at the places, or at least the pieces that they have right now, there's enough, you know, options. Last year, I don't feel that there were as many options at that point or at that position, but it's interesting to see that you have Chase Lucas, you have Joey Bryant, you have Kobe Williams, Darren Cornet, those solid four-man group at this point.
1: Yeah. I think um, we're going to get into this really in the weeds on the premium, but what's going to be really important in determining the success of this unit is going to be how plays come from the sideline onto the field and then what happens in defensive audible situations. Right. I think there's going to be some big differences that this, this year with that. I think those were some of the uh, uh, problems that ASU really had or exacerbated some of their challenges the last couple years. And I'm looking forward to really talking about that a lot more on, on the, for our member only podcast.
0: Yeah. That's going to be a good conversation because there's a lot to talk about with Phil Bennett and all the changes that he's brought. But, um, Before we get out of here, let's jump into their latest scrimmage, Chris. Uh, This past week, uh, Frank Darby apparently had a big, big day. He's developing into a deep ball threat for ASU, according to their coaches, and he had a couple of long receptions in each scrimmage now. Uh, Wide receiver Terrell Chapman, who he's kind of in competition with for that fourth uh, receiver role, he didn't participate, and they're kind of competing for reps behind the kill Harry, so... With his emergence in these last two scrimmages, do you think he's kind of, you know, uh, assertive himself as that number three, number four big play option guy for ASU moving forward?
1: Well, I would say the way I look at this is I would say that Nikhil Harry, Jalen Harvey, John Humphrey and Ryan Newsom are probably a solid four. Okay. And because you have you've had in recent practices as, as you've seen, uh, Newsom's jumped up a lot and taken one reps. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the in place of Humphrey, and then and then after that, I would say Kyle Williams and whoever would be behind Nikhil Harry would be like your five and six guys in some order. Right. Um, it's a deep group. And and it, yeah, they're are they're, they're they're talented, and so and so it, 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 I thought maybe that would be a Terrell Chapman earlier on. Uh, Frank Darby we liked a lot on defense and we thought he could play that position. We've been very high, uh, very bullish on uh, Darby as a football player in this. this, I I just didn't know if he'd be able to crack that top five or so guys that were going to get a majority of the reps. At wide receiver now he's showing with this deep threat component that maybe yeah. he has the ability to do that what it also perhaps enables is you to move Nikhil harry around formationally exactly and then still have uh, darby out there into the boundary as a, as a vertical guy that can help you keep defenses honest or maybe you even put those guys as bookends yeah at your x and z positions uh, so um but but it does look like that uh, that he probably has moved ahead of chapman Right now, and is right there with Williams on that 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 second tier line of guys that would come in, and and um, and you need that. ASU hasn't really had that much depth at wide receiver over the years under Todd Graham. You've really only been able to rely on you know two, three, maybe four at the most players. Right. So I think they're in a better position probably to keep some of these guys fresher and healthier as the season unfolds, and then also um, the way in which. Uh, that uh, forces defenses to really be be, be stay home and, and, and be honest uh, to all the routes that are on the field.
0: Yeah, and I think just in terms of what he provides the offense, if his big playability is something to be trusted, it's going to be huge for what ASU's offense. They, I, I believe Manny Wilkins led the Pac-12 in deep passes or some advanced statistics. Forgive me for not knowing
1: about the top of my head. Tho- balls that were thrown yeah, air, over. Air, air yards. Yes. That's one of the
0: new advanced stats that everybody loves to, to um, recognize is the air yards. And the ASU actually led the conference in that last season which you know to it surprised a lot of fans yeah it, it surprised
1: me well Nikhil Harry's ability to go get get the football <laughs> but, but but if if Wilkins had been a little bit more accurate on some right, of those right that would have really given ASU a bigger play component but I think this year even more so because Humphrey we know is a guy who has that exactly part of his game you know and Nikhil Harry probably underappreciated for his ability to Indeed. run these bigger mm-hmm. concept routes and then um of course you have uh, Frank Darby who's now starting to emerge it is yeah. that possibility exactly
0: as well? that, that's the wilds I was getting at. like they just have so many different weapons who can stretch the field for you and now that you know if if ASU's running game is on par like we're assuming that they will like the offensive line from what all the coaches and players say has been fantastic in the running game and you have two stars like or potential stars and Kalen Balaj and DeMario Richard Behind you, if you can set up the play action and you have th- two, three, four deep threats instead of just one in Nikhil Harry, yeah. now you're stretching the field and teams have to you know
1: account for that. I'm gonna I'm gonna reel you in a little bit. I, okay. I fantastic is maybe a little bit uh, too, too strong of okay. a word. Okay. Uh, for their their I think that they sh- will take a step forward. I think they're last Possibly. year okay. that was a real problem. You know, I coaches seem to be very yeah, that's, confident that's as yeah. you're saying. Uh, I didn't hear anybody say fantastic but, okay. but I, I did <laughs> I, I, I have heard them say that they think that their ability to run the ball between the tackles has taken a good step okay. forward this year right and, and so um, to your point I think which mm-hmm. is a good one if, if that's there Right. Right. And you are really showing a lot more of that under center or even any sort of play action ability. Then that gives you just so much more capability in your offense. Exactly. Remember, Manny Wilkins told us that that he took all of his uh, snaps uh, from a from a training standpoint under center this year uh, because he felt like it it, it forced him to be mechanically uh, doing the things that were going to allow him to improve. Right.
0: And I I think that's going to be a really good development as far as, you know, Moving forward with the offensive, of it, it, it achieving more consistency. Um, one of the other issues for ASU, well, I guess would would be assuming would be replacing Zane Gonzalez, the reigning Lou Groza award winner, um, high scoring kicker in NCAA history. Uh, they have a pretty good weapon in freshman kicker Brandon Ruiz, who transferred in or excuse me, not transferred in, but decommitted from Alabama and actually ended up at ASU. He made a 50-yard field goal with room to spare and was also kicking off into the end zone apparently at the previous scrimmage. So, is this a good development, Chris? I mean, he's been
1: <laughs> he's been pretty impressive um and and we haven't of course been able to see all that much of him. There was one day in practice where he made 7 of 8 or 6 of 7. Yeah, 6 of 7. from from 42, 43 yeah. yards out and um that's, that's not easy to do for any freshman. And this yeah. is a, a atypical freshman kicker. Uh, if you're ASU, you had to be a little bit concerned about this going into the season because there was the opportunity for there to be a precipitous drop-off from what ASU had had in the last couple of years with Zane off to Brandon Ruiz. But it just doesn't at this point appear that it's going to be that much of a drop-off and and Brandon ruiz told us pretty matter-of-factly hey i'm gonna win the groza this year and be a freshman all-american and um yeah i mean he's making a lot of kicks so it looks like he's got a chance to at least be one of the better uh field goal kickers in the pac-12 even as a freshman
0: yeah it's certainly a big aspect of what asu does i think special teams you know a lot of people Uh, Talk about how underappreciated it is. For ASU last season, like all the advanced statistics, we mentioned it before, they rank within the top 15 of kicking, both punting and kickoffs and field goal rating, obviously, last year. Um, That
1: starting field Field position exactly. is so important. It's so in, huge in, in
0: college. It could be the difference from you winning a football game or you losing a football game if you're able to flip the field, whether it's on a kickoff or whether uh, it, it's a punt. And especially with field goal range, if you're able to get three points, it could end up being the difference in, between you winning or losing a game as well. Yeah, no doubt. So one of the other things that we didn't really see evolve at the quarterback position, but we do expect it to move forward, um, Brady White has taken first-team reps recently at practices, uh, notably last week, which is very interesting because he and ASU's coaches have said before they don't really anticipate him being cleared in the near future, but he's told us that his hope is to return sometime in October. So, Chris, before the fans lose their minds, <laughs> is there anything to make of this You know, positive, I guess?
1: The, I just don't think that you're giving Brady White first-team reps in a practice setting or a scrimmage setting – knowing that he's not going to be cleared in the next few weeks, at least it would appear unless it's something in the backs of their minds. It has to at least be in the back of their minds. We may need Brady white this season. And this is sort of reading some tea leaves and, and projecting out. But if you love your first two quarterbacks, are you really throwing Brady white out there with the first team reps in practices and in scrimmages when you're also saying that you don't expect them back anytime soon. I just don't see that as being the, what you right. what you would be doing. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Brady White did have a very serious traumatic foot injury, a Liz Frank injury, which is basically where the ligament uh, detaches from bones. A lot of times it involves multiple bone fractures, which was the case with Brady White. He told me after a recent practice that he had two surgeries to sort of put everything back together in his foot, but that he's feeling really good now. His rehab has been successful. Uh all the x-rays show that the foot's really healed. And now it's a matter of um him relaying to ASU's doctors and trainers how he's feeling, how he's doing, them evaluating his foot and coming to some sort of conclusion about when he, he's not able to just be out there running around with his teammates but when he's actually going to be able to handle the torquing forces and of being sacked and and unnatural movements within the foot things that are going to happen in a, in a football setting um people remember brady white won his only game as a starter last year uh he seemed to start to uh develop a rhythm in that second half against ucla yep. uh, a game that um uh, by all accounts, ASU was, was, uh, not expected to probably win given its quarterback situation right. and what, you know, things had already transpired on the team. Um, but, uh, I, I personally think that his potential is just as much as these other two guys that we're talking about. And if there happens to be less than really good play from the quarterback position, in the early portion of the season when ASU, by the way, probably needs to win three of its first four games, if not four, all four of its first games to really have a chance to be in the Pac-12 South race. Right. Um, you know, if, if, they're, if they lose a couple games in September or through early October, I don't really see why... Brady White won't become more prevalent in in, in the conversation.
0: Yeah, and they, I think one of our subscribers pointed out in the forum, like it, his re his injury took place October 9th uh, or excuse me, October eighth of last year. Uh, the twelve month recovery period would take place if if he were to meet that timeline. It would occur over the the excuse me the bye week for ASU over that October seventh October eighth weekend. So it's definitely something to watch. I think that. I agree with you. You wouldn't be throwing him out there if you have faith in the two guys above him on the right, like 100% faith. And, I mean, to to that point, though, too, I, I do think that he does possess, you know, a higher ceiling than both of them. I, I know, obviously, Barnett was ranked a five-star. There you I, go. I know, that Barn- I know that Wilkins, you know, he, he's who he is at this point, in my opinion. Um what i i think brady just in terms of you know the gunslinger mentality the arm talent just last year i thought that alone was going to be able to get him and uh, you know a chance to start uh with ASU last season i don't think he was there physically as mature as he is now i mean you look look at the dude now I, he was a completely different player i didn't recognize him on the field when yeah, we first were out there yeah
1: he's 25 pounds heavier now exactly. and lo- looks much more the part i don't i, I never thought that he had a better uh, Better velocity as a thrower than like Manny Wilkins, or maybe not even as much range, but his accuracy and his mechanics to me yeah. really stood out. I th- I've always thought that he was better in those areas. Okay, Um, at least more 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 reliable, more repeatable. Yeah, he has more touch yeah. with, with his mechanics. Yeah, and and. Um, and what I like about Brady White is his willingness to cycle through progressions, even if it means holding on the ball to yes. a, little, a little bit long. He got sacked a lot during and practices last that's, year. And that, that's a problem in games, but right. it's also the sign of somebody who's probably going to develop uh, and, and get better. So we may, to this point, still be talking about this uh, in October. <laughs> we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um, Let's talk about some of the other freshmen that, or not other freshmen, but some of the freshmen that are on ASU's roster. Uh, one of the other tidbits that come out of uh, Grant's presser are, from the scrimmage the other night was that uh, the freshmen that are expected to play are pretty sparse. Um, outside of Eno he Benjamin, he didn't even name anybody, but it, we exactly. we're doing it for him. Oh, that <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, to the he did say that he does not expect Eno you know, Benjamin to redshirt before. He previously. said that he's not. Yes, previously yeah. he said that. So we have a pretty you know. We know G- that Eno good Benjamin's idea playing. that you know Benjamin's playing. But other guys, maybe Shannon Foreman. Well,
1: Phil Bennett said Shannon Foreman's playing. Okay, too. well there you go. The Sh- yeah. Phil
0: Bennett said it, Shannon Foreman's going to play. Maybe Langston Frederick is the guy who can see some time he's broken into too deep, and then possibly some other uh, rotational special teams guys like Kyle Sowelli, who's seen special team reps, um, Traylon Smith. Um, what do you kind of make of this? Because usually in the past we've seen Todd Graham incorporate let me, maybe one or two Freshman within you know the two deep regularly um, maybe not the case this season.
1: Yeah, I just think the offense is a lot more mature uh, from its personnel. You look at their, you're never going to play not never but almost never going to play offensive linemen who are freshmen. Right. Uh, their running backs are obviously standout players. Two seniors, so you know Benjamin is could be like their third guy. Um, it depends on you know Nick Ralston's health because he's been kind of on True. the shelf. Uh, with a muscle strain, uh, wide receiver, of course, ASU, it would be really hard for anybody to crack their top group. Curtis Hodges did get some reps as a freshman uh, with the ones and twos at times, and maybe he could be a situational type of a player, Right. Uh, you know, in, in the red zone. Um, but other than that, I, on offense, I don't see it. On defense, you have a more veteran front seven linebacker, certainly, uh, there's nobody that's going to play who's a, a, a true freshman. Uh, the one guy up front is, of course, Shannon Foreman, who you mentioned. I think he's either going to be a starter or going to be like that first rotational guy off the depth chart. And then uh, after that, you have, um, you know, a couple guys in the secondary that have a chance. You have uh, Evan Fields, we thought coming into camp would would, would be there, but right. but it hasn't materialized because he's been hurt and not really 100%. He actually just tweeted about it, how he wants to be 100%, but it hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet. Uh, and then Links and Frederick and Ty Thomas have sort of been battling for uh, second-team roles in the secondary. So I think those are the kind of the guys that you have.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think it's too big of a detriment at ASU for ASU to not incorporate some of these freshmen early either because, like you mentioned, it's a veteran unit. And I think, it, especially in this year for Graham, I I don't blame him if he would prefer to have players who are in the system and understand, you know, what's going on, even though you have a pretty, you know, new culture around the ASU. I think you do want those guys who you know and can trust to go out there and have game experience. We saw how it kind of cost ASU last season um, along the offensive line with guys who were coming in and subbing in who hadn't really had game experience. You mentioned that they're going to be a much more experienced group this year. Even at quarterback, if you're starting Manny Wilkins, which is the expectation – um, he's going to have a lot more experience, too. Nikhil Hill, Harry's another year wiser. Uh, there, there's just a lot of different positions where I think it's, you know, better for ASU, especially this season, uh, that you let the freshmen come into their own and then, um, you know, let them play as, you know, they, they sort of progress.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it's, you definitely don't want to have to rely on too many freshmen, right? Exactly. And...
0: Speaking of relying on freshmen, some of these teams in the Pac-12 do not. Um, USC, Washington, Stanford, and Washington State all cracked uh, the first AP preseason poll release on Monday afternoon. Uh, USC ranked fourth. Uh, Washington ranked eighth after waiting north last season. Uh, Stanford came in at 14th and Washington State came in at 24th. Utah also uh, garnered some votes. They were actually second in terms of teams receiving votes to crack the top 25. But um, Chris, what do you make of the first release? You know, you got four uh, Pac-12 well teams in there, including uh, two, one from the South.
1: Not surprised by USC and Washington. I think those are both two realistic top 10 football teams. I think Stanford's probably a little bit too high. Okay. Uh, I think Stanford. Part of that's probably reputationally, uh, especially because I think that that. Um with with Washington State and Washington in the north, with with mm-hmm. USC uh, a, a, a tough team in the south, it's going to be hard for Stanford to not lose at least a, a few games yep. there, right? Um, and that's that's not not taking into consideration any of the other teams in the Pac-12. Washington State twenty fourth, and maybe that's probably about right. They'll, they'll, they'll they should be potent again on offense. I think they they lost some of their uh, key players on defense. Looking forward to seeing how they yeah. sort of um how they sort of recover from that uh but i think they'll they'll hang with most everybody um they have been prone to some slow starts so we'll see about that they lost uh, two games in the last two seasons to fcs teams, so right. uh, i don't know who <laughs> is on their schedule to start but uh that'll be interesting uh and and utah just very well coached football team that is, i expect to be solid on, on both sides of the ball
0: yeah in Sticking with Utah, they, were, they had an Alabama transfer come in at quarterback similar to ASU when they had brought in uh, Cooper Bateman, a former four-star. He was a senior this season. Um, he didn't even factor into the quarterback battle. It was really uh, returning starters, uh, Troy Williams and uh, true sophomore Tyler Hunt, Huntley, who were really splitting those first-team reps. Uh, as far as reporting goes throughout the off season, and earlier today, or excuse me, on Monday afternoon, uh, Utah announced that Tyler Huntley would be the starting quarterback ahead of Troy Williams. Are you surprised by that?
1: Well, a little bit surprised. You have a senior captain in Troy Williams uh, coming back. Obviously, he's played a lot. Um, what well, he wasn't among the better quarterbacks in the league. Right. But 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 I mean they they. Uh, knew what they had there and 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 that was a stable sort of a, a option what this tells me really caitlin is utah felt great about tyler huntley there's no way that they're making this move unless right. they felt to them that it was a very clear-cut thing that huntley was better than williams otherwise they would have rolled out williams at the outset of the season maybe given huntley some reps in games right. and seeing how how he was going to be able to to develop they're doing this because they know that they have a guy who's going to be better in the long run and maybe even better in the short term. And that's um, good for Utah and probably, frankly, bad for the rest of the Pac-12. I was thinking the same thing. To have a sophomore who is already demonstrated to those that coaching staff that he's ready to handle um, everything that they're going to put upon him. so um, a, a league that already has so many really talented quarterbacks May now be having another one at Utah, and by the way, that's where Utah has always been sort of a step below yeah. some of the peers. Where if they had had a really standout quarterback or a good healthy, good teams. quarterback, yep. they would have been among the best teams in the league. I and agree. So, so this is going to be a, a big development.
0: Yeah, and I think it gives them a jump, like you mentioned, on the rest of the teams in the Pac-12 South, because you look at the state of the South right now. If Sam Darnold leaves USC, obviously they're searching for a quarterback. They, you know, they're going to be considered elite, but Utah every single year. They're Known as a team that challenges, you know, pushes to be, you know, that top of the conference, top of the South, and then even push to be, you know, uh, top 15, top 25 year in ever since Kyle Whittingham's been there. So um, I, I think it definitely gives them a jump when you look at the, the other teams in the conference who, in terms of their quarterback situations. Um, but just looking at the top 25 alone, I, I guess like Utah, um, i i wouldn't be surprised if they broke in even without starting troy williams um it, it did seem kind of odd to me that you don't uh return a starter who you know seems comfortable in your office and had performed you know well enough for you for that team to be in the conversation um if, if huntley is that talented and gives them a better chance at being one of those top teams then sure i say why not
1: well i think utah has a good very good entrance into its season uh uh, North Dakota, BYU, San Jose State, and Arizona on the road. Uh, BYU is going to be a, a, a competitive game, right. but and, and North Dakota is not a bad team. But that but there's a, a really good chance that Utah's four 0 as it goes into a home game against Stanford on October seventh, and and back to back weeks it's it's Stanford and USC. So we're going to know really where Utah is at by by uh, that early portion of October. But I wouldn't at all be surprised if Utah is, is 4-0 and or, uh, uh, going into October with a chance to maybe, uh, beat Stanford at home to go fight, to be 5-0. and And if that were to happen, of course, uh, uh, that USC game the following week would be, uh, a, a very closely watched yeah, game.
0: That would be a great game. That would be a fantastic game to watch. Um, sticking back to ASU, um, they just recently, had the departure of ASU chief officer, Rocky Harris. Uh, he was named the CEO of USA triathlon up in Colorado Springs. So it's, it's a pretty neat position for him, but Chris, you've called Harris, you know, on this podcast, you said that he's a glue guy for ASU athletics. So where does it kind of go for here for ASU as far as replacing him?
1: That's going to be really hard. frankly, it's going to be almost impossible because, uh, Rocky Harris had his iron in so many fires at ASU. Uh, He was involved in in, uh, overseeing media relations, marketing. Uh, He worked very closely with campus because ASU's campus and athletics haven't always seen eye to eye about a lot of different things. and He was the person who had the ability to be sort of a soothsayer. In that regard, he was very involved in, in customer service and that interaction between the fan between fan booster engagement and the university. Um, he was uh, a, a expressly involved in on the revenue generation side in, in ticketing and in sponsorships and, and all of that. And then uh, and then the the uh, the record breaking fundraising that ASU's uh, gone gone through in, in the last a uh, handful of years, he was really a, a, a at the forefront of that movement, a, and um, and then you look at the capital projects, um, very involved in the Sun Devil Stadium project, uh, ASU's Stadium District, working with Steve Patterson in the early years of that, and then and then transitioning to Ray Anderson. Um, I've been told he's he was been very involved in working. On ASU's next facilities projects, which are really a multi purpose athletics arena for hockey and other uh, uh, sports on campus, that it probably will be uh, breaking ground on in the next year to two years. And then uh, the Wells Fargo Arena. Overhaul, which Ray Anderson said would happen uh, without really putting a timetable on it, but he said that there's a great structure there. They're going to be able to, to, to re, uh, reimagine that uh, in, in a much better venue for ASU basketball Mo- moving forward. Rocky Harris has been uh, a key factor in all of these areas, and you, there's no way that you can replace him with any one individual person, and that's why it wasn't really a surprise kaylin when ray anderson said they weren't going to hire anybody else to replace him and and instead of that what they were going to do essentially is to give some of rocky harris's roles to other individuals um you know promoting gene boyd promoting becky park i mean these are people that have been around asu for a very long time now Mm. uh gene boyd uh cut his teeth made his mark in overhauling ASU's uh, academic support for student-athletes, getting graduation rates and APR numbers uh, to all-time highs. Becky Park has been extremely involved with Sun Devil Club and and has an understanding uh, thoroughly of of marketing and and working with that dynamically with the campus uh, and, and also sponsorships. And then some other people that are sort of um, uh, already have pretty established roles are going to be taking on a little bit more responsibility here and there as they go through the process. Um, is how is that going to look? I think it's going to. I think it's going to take a lot of time to really sort of sort through and figure out. And people are going are going to learn that 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 Harris was responsible for so many different things in the ASU athletic department, and he did so as an alumnus, somebody who has a great had a great affinity. For the university and its athletic programs, um, you know, people say, "Well, you know, why did he leave to take this role?" Uh, I, I think it's because he wasn't offered a athletic uh, athletic uh, director in training sort of a position right. where it was named that he was going to be the replacement. Replacement for Anderson, basically. Uh, I, yeah, exactly. I think I think that uh, realizing that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, that wasn't going to materialize he decided that by going out and getting some executive leadership in somewhere else in sports like uh, being the CEO of um, uh, USA triathlon in Colorado Springs is is going to uh, broaden out that resume in a way that then allows to be more appealing to uh, President Michael Crow at ASU and, and I, I just want to say that uh, obviously in, in my in my job and what I do I I spend a lot of time around people behind the scenes at ASU and there is nobody not any single person who has worked in ASU athletics in the last 15 to 20 years who has impressed me more than Rocky Harris and and so that uh, should be conveyed and it it also reflects uh, the challenge that ASU has ahead in replacing him
0: yeah well quite the tribute to Mr. Harris, it's, it sounds like it'll be a, a, a tough loss for ASU Athletics moving forward, but we'll see whether or not ASU and Ray Anderson can move on um, from his loss. But uh, moving forward, Chris, that'll do it for us in the free uh, edition of the Sun Devil Source podcast. Uh, in the premium, we will include the final preseason Hot 11, which is a look at the most impressive performers relative to expectations. You definitely want to check that out. Uh, We'll also have position by position analyst breakdowns with grading each unit and the comparison of last year, as well as our in-depth season predictions for our membership audience. So you definitely want to subscribe to the Sun Devil Source podcast. Uh, Make sure you want to check out the premium as well and subscribe to us at sundevilsource.com. From Chris Cartman, I'm Kalen Jones. Thank you for listening.